Uh, as we come to our text today, um, it, it, is, it is something uh, that we will read about and look at in the weeks uh, and months uh, ahead that talks about the importance of not only your union with Christ, if you're a Christian, but that we're united to each other. Now, before we read the text, let me give you a little context here. I'm over 50 years old, and if anybody's over 50 years old, we grew up, if you grew up in the South, in what you would call uh, Christian residuals, the kind of the last vestiges of Christendom, and so when you uh, uh, talked about God, you knew you were talking about Jesus in some way, and, and, uh, and, but, but what's happened over the years, people that are under 50, and I really saw this when I went from Mississippi State as a campus minister with RUF to Vanderbilt is those presuppositions that were there at Mississippi State in 1985, and you could open up the Bible and read it, and uh, most people from Mississippi believe the Bible is the Word of God. And then I went to Vanderbilt. And they might be like you. They might be from all over the country. Uh, they were from San Diego. matter of fact, the uh, president of the San Diego Padres' daughter was converted at Vanderbilt through RUF. People were from Chicago and, and Philadelphia. And there were no Christian residuals. And uh, even if you're in the South now and you're under the age of 25 and you get hear a preacher get up, you're kind of suspicious because, you see, Christianity is one of many ideas now. It used to be the idea, right? But now there are thousands of ideas that are out there. And so I became convinced, and the reason I came to Athens, Georgia, is that the apologetic or the defense of the Christian faith is the church. It's us together in community understanding the magnitude of what it really means as individuals to be united to Christ and thus to be united to each other. And you can't get away from that in the New Testament. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus talks about. And so if we are to win Athens to Christ in a very postmodern culture where everybody is disconnected, balkanized, it can't just be through my little walk with Jesus and me sharing my faith. We have to do that together. So as we come to our text, I want to ask you, if you're a believer, are you really are you connected to Christ, but are you connected to one another? Are you really that involved in the life of other believers? Because you see, that's how Jesus said the world will know me, is how you love one another and how you're involved in each other's life. We just can't come here on Sunday morning. We can't just see our brother in need and just turn our head. We have to be involved because the lost pagan world is longing for some weightiness. So that's what our text is about, okay? So read with me uh, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us then, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching and the one who exhorts in his exhortation and the one who contributes in generosity and the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, uh, as we uh, come together, we are grateful for the gospel. Lord, we pray for our friends who are here this morning who are perhaps seeking to know who you are. Uh, Perhaps there are those who are not sure where they stand with you. Perhaps there are believers who've hardened their hearts and they need to hear the gospel. And Father, perhaps there are believers who are seeking to understand more and more what it means to yield themselves to you and to one another. And so, Lord, we all need to hear from you. We need your grace, and we need your guidance, and we need your wisdom. And above all, we need Jesus and his gospel. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. If a minister of the gospel is to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, and to be a blessing to his church, and a blessing to the people that are surrounded by the church then uh, it is imperative that he preach grace, the grace of God. And the essence of grace is we've been looking at for the past year, of course, almost every week since I've been here for 15 years, is that it's not by works that a man is justified before God. It's, It's not our own righteousness or what we bring to the table. It's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. The Christian faith is unique in its insistence that it's not by works of the law or it's not about being good. It's not about how sincere you are. That cannot satisfy the righteous requirements of God because of his character and because of who he is. That the whole Bible is convincing us of our need for Christ and Christ. And so in Romans 3 that we've already looked at, it says this. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And that is what it says here. As it is written, there is no one righteous. No, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who even seeks God. All have turned away, have uh, have together become worthless... Uh, There is no one who does good, not even one. You see, what we've been seeing in the teaching of Romans is that all of mankind, our greatest need, and we talked about this last week, and so if you're visiting, you you can hear this for the first time, but your greatest need is not a date for this weekend or tickets to the Boise State game or a future spouse or a good education or a job or a 
the home of your dreams. And by the way, all those things are fine. I mean, I would, if, hey, if you got Boise State tickets, uh, but... That's like uh, faith uh, uh, against all hope. But, but let me tell you what your greatest need is. I want you to understand this, especially if you're not a Christian. Your greatest need is that you will stand before the triune God and you will give a reckoning for your life. And you're either going to stand there on your own in your own filthy unrighteousness or are you going to stand before him clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so what is so unique about Christianity than every other religion, every other religion is about your performance and what you do. And what Christianity is about is grace. It's about freedom that God has given us through his work on our behalf. It's about Christ's substitutionary work. And so the question ends up being, how are we to respond to this, uh, to this free gift? How, how, how should you respond? If you're a Christian and you're united to Christ and the blood of God, Almighty God was shed for you personally 2,000 years ago, then how should you respond to this, this free grace? Now, over the years, what I've discovered, and this is where I'm trying to drive to, is a lot of people would say, that's what I don't like about Christianity. It's about It's about freedom. And, and, or it's about free grace. There's nothing you do. Well, guys, you know why that's so offensive to the world? The reason it is is because most, most of all of us have had to accomplish something. We're always seeking to be performance-oriented. And, and so you get rewarded for your performance. So if you study hard, chances are you get into good school. If you don't, you go to a less good a school that's not as good. Uh, we perform for one another as spouses. We don't bring grace to one another. We go, hey, listen, you know what? You did. And so we have to perform. And so there's no real joy in a marriage. There's no real union. There's always this performance. Well, you know what I'm saying? That's what the world is. And so when they hear about grace and that it's free, it's bothersome. Because you see, the cross of Christ says to everybody in the world, all the bad people, you're bad. And it says to all the good people, you're bad too. It condemns everybody. God on the cross, in the flesh, in the person of Christ. But not only is it non-Christians that don't like this doctrine of grace, because many Christians who think they have grace abuse grace, but uh, there are those with other denominations that don't like this. The work of Christ, finished work of Christ, and, and you get an inheritance. Now, I don't mean to be offensive about this. I, you know, it's hard to talk about distinctions in a postmodern culture. But do you understand that the Council of Trent at the time of the Reformation, where the Roman Catholic Church was countering this idea that the Reformers were saying, one faith... You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And the Council of Trent, if you read their, their catechism, was a response to this. And I've quoted this before, but it says, Let him who believes that a man is justified by faith alone be accursed. And that states it twice to make sure that the members of the Roman Catholic Church understood that this teaching by the Reformers was a dangerous teaching. Because there has to be some kind of works, right? Shouldn't there be works? 
So then the question ends up being, and, I, and this is where I want to head this morning, then how should you respond? Does God want your works? Your, the money you give and being nice to people? Uh, does he want your uh, sharing Jesus and prayers and fastings? Let me tell you, Christ fasted perfectly. He prayed perfectly. He loved people perfectly. He did everything per- perfectly, and he was crucified for somebody's sins, and somebody who puts their faith and trust in Christ gets all of his 33 years of absolute perfect obedience. So how do you respond? Oh, I'll tell you how you respond. You're not to give your works to him. You are to give yourself. All of you. Every bit of you. And this is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And when you first become a Christian, you don't understand all that. All you know is, hey, Christ, thank you for what you've done. And so it's absolutely free. God is the free grace of God, but it costs you everything. I think this is what it means to be born again. This is what it means to be a Christian. And so the great hope for you who screwed your lives up, what are you going to do, unscrew it up? You're going to start trying to work your way back into God's favor? No, you look to Christ and you're immediately translated into the kingdom of God by faith. But then you start really realizing the implications of all that, right? If you're a Christian for 15 or 20 years. You thought, well, I didn't know I was getting into this. C.S. Lewis put it this way. When he was a little boy, he, uh, he had problem with toothaches, but he never wanted to go to his mother. He would live with the pain as long as he could because when he went to his mother, guess where his mother was taking him? To the dentist. <laughs> and the dentist says, I'll have that whole tooth. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to straighten out your whole mouth full of bad teeth. And so really what it means as a Christian is you walk in by grace, the, the gift of God, and then all of a sudden Jesus Christ starts taking over. And we'll see more of what this means. But I want you to see this as we, go, as we move, is you're going to see that you discover this in, in the body of Christ. It's not just the me and Jesus. And, and so if you're, if you're trying to live the Christian life and surrender to Christ, and you're not surrendered to the body of Christ and to his church whom he loves, then I'm telling you, you're not getting the gospel. That's how you learn about who you are and and the things you do wrong and the thing where you need grace and where you need Christ and you, the positive side, the, the gifts that we'll see. And so as we come and look at our points here, I want to ask you, if you profess Christ, how important is his bride to you? Are you really involved in the lives of other people? And by the way, I've always discovered that people who are tend to be healthy people spiritually. And that people who aren't really question the goodness of God and don't really like his people. And there's good reason not to like the people of God, right? We're kind of like not good people. We're just justified bad people. And some of, I, I, you know, there are a lot of non-Christians I'd much rather go to dinner with because they're nice. Like some dogs are born nice, right? They don't bite. And, uh, but a Christian is someone who might have been a mean dog who God's got a lot of work to do on, but you're kind of scared to pet them. 
the good news for us, you know, is that God is transforming his people, but he does it to his people. That, that's kind of what I want to look at here. Okay, so here, here's what I think we're learned, that the surrender of our lives to him who gave himself for us is not only re- reasonable, but it's inevitable. Look, if you've been at Redeemer for a while, or if you've been saying you've been a Christian and your life's not growing in Christ and you're not growing in grace and you're not surrendering your life more and more, why do you think you're a Christian? It's inevitable. That's, that, we're to make our body a living sacrifice. So that's, that's, what I, that's, that's kind of the main thing. Now, and how do we see this in our text? One is we're, we're supposed to give ourselves to God. We looked at that last week. But the two more points I want us to look at this morning is we give ourselves uh, because we've experienced God's grace. Why would you give yourself? If you're, I mean, why would you give yourself? You're not giving yourself if you don't get grace. If you don't think God's gracious, I'm telling you, if you're, like, if you're a teenager here, and, you, and your parents aren't exactly living the life that uh, you think they should as a Christian, as though you are. But, but, but you don't see grace, and so therefore you're resisting. You don't think God is gracious, so you won't submit. Or you've been disappointed by other Christians, or maybe Christian leaders within the church, and therefore you're not submitting. It's because you're not understanding grace doesn't ultimately come from us. It comes from God. And then the third thing is that we are to give ourselves not only to God... But to one another. It's all there, and I think it's very clear in the text. So, again, uh, first off, we're to give ourselves to God. Now, I need to go back and just take a, a minute to, to show you this, because if you weren't here last week, I want to say it again. Notice what he says in verse 1, right? 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and, and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and spiritual worship. Or reasonable worship is really the word that should be used there. Now, what things is he talking about? In view of what things? Everything that he has been teaching for 11 chapters about the fact that it's the work of Christ on your behalf. It's all of grace. I don't care how screwed you are up today. I don't care what your sins are. Christ came for sinners. And we'll talk about this in a minute when we talk about grace and responding to grace. If you don't need grace, if you're not a sinner, this is just a bunch of noise, okay? You're like a 13-year-old who's bored because you still hadn't figured out that you need the mercy of God. I'm baptized. I'm a child. I'm a child of the covenant. But you don't need grace. And, and, but, but he says, I urge you, in view of all these things, and these things being that he has laid out why Jesus Christ is the only hope of mankind. It's an evangelistic book. It's not just a doctrinal book. And so he's saying this should be reasonable in light of God's mercy that if you claim to know Jesus Christ, that your life should be submitting yourself to him. And remember we said two ways. Number one, very practically, he says you are to give your bodies as living sacrifices. I don't know if I quoted G.K. Chesterton last week. I think it did, but I'm going to do it again because it's a great quote. Talking about giving your bodies. Uh, he said this, when you go to, to a park, uh, you'll notice that you never see a statue made to committees. Statues of people. People who did something extraordinary. People who... What they did with their hands and their feet impacted other people. Maybe they won wars or maybe they were philanthropists 
Or maybe they were, uh, uh, Charles Town has one in Greenville now who invented the laser beam. There's a statue to him. But he did that in his body. And so really what it's saying is that are we giving our bodies to Christ for good? Uh, my wife and I have been watching the TV show Friday Night Lights. I don't know if, if you've watched that. It's a pretty cool series. But what's really interesting is about you know, football in Texas. And, uh, but, but it's more than that. It, it's about people who are constantly giving their bodies to things only to discover that they don't mean anything. The girl who gives her virginity away to some guy who soon as he uh, sleeps with her is ready for the next girl. Or it's the guy who tries to find meaning in giving his body to, uh, to football in such a way that he begins to take steroids and ruins his life. And this is always the trap of Satan. That, oh, there's pleasures, everything's out there, the world is there for you, be all you can be, blah, 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 blah. And then a lot of you are doing that right now. And let me ask you this. Has it satisfied? But not only does he say that we're to give our bodies, and that to me is very practical, right? You give your hands to help the downtown Falcons. You give your money to help Redeemer reach other people. Uh, you give your, your mouth to speak blessings to other people versus getting together with other people and going, you know, that really bothers me about this person. And then you begin to gossip and you tear them apart, right? Our bodies are to be given to Jesus Christ. I mean, that, you're purchased, you're his. Now again, I'm talking about born again Christians. If you're not born again, you're just a southern Christian who has all these compartments in your life. But he says not only are you to give your body, but he says that you're to give your mind, that you, you're, you are to be uh, conformed into the image of Christ. We're to give our minds. Do not conform, be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we talked about that. Listen, being conformed means to be pressured into. You understand that? Pressuring into a lot of you younger people have really ruined your lives because you know what? You're being conformed. You're being pressured into doing things you don't really want to do and it doesn't really satisfy. And so you screw your life up because you're trying to be one of the guys. But we're to be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of our minds. And how does that happen? Like having a worship experience on Sunday morning. Oh, that was awesome. No, that's fine. But it's through the hard work of another kind of pressure. The means of grace that God has given to us to begin to mold us into his image. Through the reading of the word every regularly, through prayer, through fellowship, through being with other believers, through being rebuked. And over a long period of time, you begin to be transformed, metamorphosed into the person of Christ. And you don't talk about other people behind their back. You know why? Because... You're so delighting in Christ's love for you. How would you do that? So that's what he's saying there. He's saying we're to give ourselves to God. I, don't, I, don't, I wish we had more time for that, but I want to move on. So, but I need to take it a step further and say this. Why do some people give their lives to God? Why are some of you done that and some of you have not done that? Well, it's because of what he says in verse 3. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, 
Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul speaks about grace that was given to him. Let me ask you this. Was Paul on his way to prayer meeting in Damascus when Jesus showed up? If you know anything about the New Testament, the book of Acts, Paul was on his way to have some more Christians taken out, beaten, and maybe killed. And so he wasn't going to a prayer meeting. Actually, he was going to have people killed, and Jesus shows up in his life. Now, that to me would say something about the sovereignty of God, by the way, and your salvation. Because we just got through reading, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God. And I'll tell you that... The only way you're ever going to be saved is by the grace of God and by the mercy of God. That's it. You're just not going to get it. And you say, well, is that fair? Well, then, trust me, if you want to know God, then, then you can, but it's by His grace. So, I want to talk about the difference between mercy and grace here in a minute, but let me just say this about grace. Now, I told you all last week this is the first verse I read when I was converted. I was dramatically converted. Most people aren't, but but I remember that it's 1972, and the number one hit song on on the radio, believe it or not, in 1972, June of 72, was "Amazing Grace," sung by Judy Collins. I don't know if some of you old fogies remember that, because it's kind of the Jesus freak movement thing, you know, kind of the. So anyhow, um. So I'm on this date, I get converted, I go back to the car, I know I've been converted. I've, Christ has you know, revealed himself by his spirit and, and uh, I went from being an arrogant guy to being broken right there on the beach. But I got in the car and when I cut the car on, you know, I cut the car on, you know how the radio's on? I cut the car on and guess what's playing as soon as I cut the car on? Amazing Grace by Judy Collins. And uh, you know how the song goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Wretch. Wretched. Like me. And by the, by the way, the guy that wrote that tune was a slave trader who met Christ and became an Episcopal and an Anglican priest. He was a wretch, right? How could God save a wretch like that? Well, you're a wretch. How precious did that grace appear the, the hour I first believed. Right, so the reason uh, that we submit ourselves is because you experience the grace of God. That God is gracious. I don't, I'm telling you, I don't care how screwed up you are. If he's willing to save a slave, slave trader and transform him in the image of Christ, he's willing to save anybody here today. What is the difference between grace and between mercy? Mercy is God's action. It's what God has to do. He sends his son. He leaves the throne. He takes upon himself a human nature for wretched people. Debt has to be paid. And people say, well, why can't just God forgive sin? Why why doesn't he forgive sin? Let me explain this. Why God has to take action, and it's not grace, it's mercy. Mercy's always action. 
What do you do if you've wounded a person, say you're a college student, or, or, and, you've, and you had your girlfriend in high school and you're a guy? And I think personally, this is me, I think guys need to be responsible about what you do with women in your life. That's what I believe. And I believe uh, a man should uh, honor a woman. I don't think he should be putting his hands where he should not put them. And, uh, and I know what we're like. We're, we're sinful people. You know, we're sexual beings. That's a wonderful thing God, calls. God gave that, but that should be in the context of marriage, right? And uh, I don't know a lot of you don't want to hear this because a lot of you are probably in sexual immorality right now. And, but that's not my point. Okay? I'm not here to go, you terrible, sexually immoral people. I'm, I've already said we're all wretches, okay? But, but how about you guys that have done that? Maybe a girl in high school, and you've even forgotten all about that. How about, what, what, what are you going to do? What if you knew that she was devastated and, say, became anorexic because of it? Or bulimic? Because of where you put your hands when you shouldn't have? Well, how do you pay that debt, friends? How are you going to pay that? You think that debt doesn't need to be paid? Now, suppose you meet that person again. Maybe you haven't seen them, and, and they're in your English class two years later. And that person has been wounded by you. And you go to that person, and you say, hey, would you please forgive me? Well, one of two things is going to happen. If they want to have a relationship with you and remain in a relationship, either A, they forgive you and they bear that debt. Or they don't forgive you and you bear that debt. But somebody has to pay. You understand that? If I borrow your umbrella on a rainy night and, I, and, and I, if you lend me anything, you're not getting it back, probably. I can assure you that. <laughs> Greg, there's your glasses. I'll try to get them back to you. <laughs> Greg said, where are your glasses? They don't. Oh, I left them at the house. So, yeah. But... Well, let's use these glasses. Forget the umbrella. Greg, I borrow your glasses. And then I walk off and I lose his glasses. I break his glasses. And I come back to Greg and I say, Greg, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I lost your glasses. And he was like, no problem. They're only 25 bucks. Like, okay. So you see, I pay. But he didn't really forgive me. I'm paying my own debt. I lost him, right? But what, what if Greg says, hey, Hal, don't worry about it, which you probably, I probably owe you money anyway, Greg, but... And, uh, but if Greg wants to remain in a relationship with me or, or, or whatever, I, you know, what he does is he says, don't worry about it. I'll buy the glasses. But I'm going to tell you what, that cost, it just doesn't go up in the air and it doesn't. Somebody has to pay. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ came in the flesh. God's mercy is that he enters into this world and he pays your debt on the cross. Now, for a lot of you, that's just noise. They're like, well, hopefully some of you, you're convicted of that. Hopefully some of you go, man, I need somebody to pay my debt, and you'll turn to Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you, you're not going to turn to Jesus Christ if you don't understand God's motive for sending his son is because he is gracious. He loves you. He's God. <laughs> don't y'all need gracious people in your lives? Don't you want your spouse to be gracious? Hey, honey, it's okay. You burnt the beans. No big deal. Or... You know, honey, I know you didn't mow the grass. I asked you to. Hey, but I love you anyway. But how about mowing tomorrow? <laughs> you know, don't, don't you respond to grace versus uh, respond. Uh, are you going to respond to law? You're going to respond to, hey, you need to be doing so and so. Right? It's just not going to do. Now, one last thing. And, and I, uh, before we, and I got a few minutes here left. 
we respond because we give ourselves to God because of what He's done and because He's gracious. But here's the last thing I'll say, and I want to be real practical here about the church. We're to give ourselves to God. We give ourselves because we have experienced God's grace. If you hadn't, you're not going to respond. I'm just sorry. You're not going to do it. And you'll just keep on being the same person that goes to church every Sunday. But you want to be conformed to the image of Christ because of this last thing, that we are to give ourselves to one another. That's real clear in our text. And it's always interesting to me how I'll see people real involved and all of a sudden they quit getting involved. And it's never good. They start drifting away. And they go, well, this is me and God and I don't need the church and, and I, I can worship God out there fishing on Sunday morning. You ever heard that one? You ain't worshiping God, you're having a good time fishing. But notice what he says here in verse 4. For just as each of us as one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. What does it say? Each member belongs to another. When a husband and wife get married, the two become one, and they belong to one another, and their bodies are not their own. You can't go, well, I'm not going to sleep with you because of boom, boom, boom. No, you're, according to the scripture, you go read 1 Corinthians 7, we're to be given to one another because we become one. And when we become one, there's fruit that comes from our love from each other. And what the Apostle Paul here is saying is this, that you really can't grow and really be effective without the body of Christ. I'm just, it's very clear here. Now friends, if you claim to be a believer this morning, I want you to hear me out on this last point. And I'm going to be blunt as I know how to be. You cannot hate what Jesus loves. If you don't like the church, he loves the church. It's kind of scary in a way to have that attitude. Because you see, throughout the New Testament, it's very important that you're to be involved in each other's lives. There's almost a self-righteousness about it. Well, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't really need to be involved with these people. I know C.S. Lewis, you know, he struggled with that. He uh, went to church right after he was converted, and there was the, he said the greasy butcher to his right. And the grandma who had the scowl on her face over to the left. And he wanted to get up and run. What have I gotten myself? I want to be with the intellectual elites. But then he realized that they're God's people. And that scowling woman will one day be a glorious, glorified creature along with the butcher. I had a guy who used to go to a church here and he told me, he said, you know, I'd much rather hang around pagans than Christians. Well, I'm thinking, well, not me because I'm around other believers who are encouraging me in my faith in Christ. And are there, just, are there any hypocrites on the session? Every dying one of them. I can tell you that our session are hypocrites because you know what? They're not living according to the standard, are they? But you know what? They're being molded into the person of Christ. Aren't, don't we all need to be molded into the person of Christ? Man, if you're, hey, listen, I want you to be a redeemer. If you're a sinner, you're welcome here. We'll just keep on going before the Lord and uh, being conformed together through the body of Christ to be members of one another. Um, 
I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to say this any more clearly, that if you're a member of Redeemer and you're not participating in the body of Christ, you're in sin. You're not holy. You can't go read books over here and, and you and God get this thing figured out, but you're not part of the body of Christ. And he, and he tells us very clearly how we're to be involved in the body of Christ, doesn't he? He talks about two kind of gifts, teaching gifts and serving gifts. So which one are you doing? Uh, John Stott said, who just passed away, he said, 30% of the people in the church have the ability to teach, maybe not preach. And he said, and the world is pressing into the church and there's not near enough teachers. You know why? Because you won't teach. And you know why you won't teach? Because you might not be good at it. And you might have to learn and you might fail and people don't think you're very good at it. Well, that's not the gospel. Or, uh, if it's not teaching or preaching, then it needs to be serving. He says, you need to, if, if it's service, then you need to serve. You need to, can anybody serve in here? Serve your wife, serve your husband, serve your kids, serve your parents. Serve uh, uh, your parents. I, I'm telling you, I, I personally think you ought to have your children in youth group. That be encouraging to the other kids. Be encouraging to the community. Now, again, there might be extenuating circumstances and nobody's going to judge you. We don't like to do that here at Redeemer. How about serving the nursery? Jen, you over there, raise your hand. There she, raise your hand high. And Jill, you can raise your hand too. You know what I discovered is that I heard this last week and broke my heart. That we have Sunday school teachers. I'm glad you teach in Sunday school. But you show up late. We have nursery people. Show up late. Now imagine we have a visitor. We have persons non-Christian here today. And they come and they got little kids. And they're interested in knowing who Jesus is. And you're not there. Uh, you know when I think you ought to be there? I think you ought to be there like 10 minutes ahead of time. Ready to go. Ready to serve. But that's what he's saying. If you serve, serve. And uh, if you are uh, a giver, then he says do it generously. In other words, keep on pressing yourself. Uh, if mercy, he says, uh, uh, do it uh, to bring happiness. Uh, the word for mercy is hilarity. Now, I want to come to the conclusion here. Okay, so y'all see this, that we surrender our lives to Christ. It's a cause of grace. And we surrender our lives to each other. And some of you, some of you have not been baptized. You don't need to be taking communion. That's what it meant. You're, you're marked, you're, engaged, you're married to Christ. You stand before the church. And you say, I love Jesus Christ. Some of you have been baptized, but you don't ever join a church. And that means that it's like you're dating. And then again, there are many who are here who uh, are members of the church, but you're a spectator, and you're watching the team play, and you're frustrated when the person who's supposed to get the job done screws it up. Now, let me close by saying this. We're supposed to give our bodies to him. Uh, C.S. Lewis again said this, that every father is pleased at the baby's first attempt to walk, but no father would be satisfied with anything less than a firm, free, manly walk in a grown-up son. In the same way, God is easy to please, but he's hard to satisfy. Why? Because he wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. He wants to be a, a young woman, a young man, who's understanding grace and giving himself and herself to Christ through the body of Christ. And then we win the world to Christ. So do you really know what you're getting into when you first walk in to, to serve Christ? No, I don't think you do. 
But God's at work as you surrender your life to him. And why should you do that? Well, because, you know, Jesus Christ surrendered his body for his body, the church. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the good news of the gospel. And uh, Lord, I do want to pray for those who are here today and they don't know you. I pray that they might know the glory of surrendering their body to Christ, the lover of their soul, not to a person, not to substances, not to ambition, not to success, but to Christ. And Father, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, would you forgive us that we lose sight of submitting ourselves not only to you, but to one another, to love one another, and to serve one another. Lord, would you forgive us of our sloth toward your body, the local church that you've ordained to reach and equip us. And now, Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, would you show your grace and mercy to each one of us who need you so desperately, and we ask it in your name. Amen.